Well, hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if this is your first time here, we just want to say welcome. Uh, we're thankful that God brought you to be here this morning, whether that was through the invite of a friend or you're looking for a new church. Uh, we hope that this can be a community, a place, a, a family uh, that you can find yourself being a part of, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ. We're just grateful uh, that you're here this morning to gather with us. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. We were in that last week. We're going to be in it again this week. If you need a copy of the Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, a couple of guys will bring a copy of God's Word around to you this morning. I want you to be able to read along with us. Uh, and if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you uh, so that you can have God's Word and read it throughout the week. We talked about the importance of Scripture, the importance of God's Word in our life last week. Uh, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that sermon, I'd encourage you to do that uh, sometime in the near future. You know, sometimes uh, at our house, uh, we will take, we have toys everywhere at our house. I feel like they're everywhere. Um, And sometimes we'll take some of those toys and we'll actually put them away. We'll go hide them from our kids. Uh, Not necessarily because of disciplinary reasons, but sometimes because there's so many different things in the house, some toys just don't get played with very often. And so to kind of declutter a bit, we'll remove some of them, stick them in a closet for a little while. uh, Because they aren't really getting much use. Uh, and what usually happens when we do that? It's kind of out of sight, out of mind for our kids. They don't see them. They're not in front of their faces anymore, and so they don't really think much about them. And we'll reintroduce them at some point in time. And it's funny, every time we reintroduce a toy, it's oftentimes like it's a brand new toy. They're all into it. They get excited about it, and they start playing with it again as if they've just seen it for the very first time. But, you know, out of sight, out of mind is kind of an interesting concept. I think at different points and different instances in our lives, we can have things that are kind of out of sight, out of mind. Maybe there's that closet at your house right now that needs to be dealt with. It's kind of overflowing, but because it's behind a closed door, out of sight, out of mind. I don't really think much about it. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe you have an underlying health issue that isn't really presenting a whole lot of issues or problems for you at the moment. And so because it's out of sight, out of mind, you don't do much about it. Or maybe there's a relationship, a strained relationship in your life, and because you don't see that person every day, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You don't think much about it. I mean, most of those things aren't real good, because most of the time in our lives, if out of sight, out of mind is in play, it's usually because of some chosen ignorance on our part, right? We choose to be ignorant to a particular situation, not to deal with it, not to pay attention to it, even though it's a real issue, You know, for the church, there are some issues in our country, some issues in our world that I believe can or have become out of sight, out of mind kinds of things. Things that as kingdom people, people who are seeking to live their lives in a way that's pleasing to God, that's seeking to honor Him and exalt Him and follow Him in all of His ways, should care about. Things that we should take up and we should seek to bring about change in. Things like racial issues. We see a lot of racial divide and racial issues in our country even today and things that we should care about. Those are issues that we should care about. Human trafficking, modern day slavery is an issue that we should care about. Orphan crisis, the orphan crisis, the fact that there's millions of orphans all around the world as we speak are issues that as kingdom people we should care about. But all of those things oftentimes can be out of sight, out of mind issues. If they don't affect us directly, sometimes we don't pay much attention to them. All those things are important. Real life issues going on right now that the church cannot ignore. But today, I want to talk about one particular issue that I think might be the most ongoing, out of sight, out of mind issue for the church in our world. Because by its very nature, 
It's something that goes on in secret and in silence. Today, we're going to talk about abortion. But as we talk about abortion, what I hope is, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to open up God's Word. And as we open up God's Word, what we're going to spend most of our time talking about is the sanctity of human life. Because in doing so, I hope that we'll see why this matters to God. And because it matters to God, it should matter to us as well. Why it can be secret and silent no more. You know, in the four and a half years that I've been a pastor at this church, four and a half years, I've never explicitly preached on this. Now, I I think I've referenced it maybe in some sermons, but I've never explicitly preached on this. And I'm going to tell you a little bit later about why I've chosen to start to do that today. Now, I know that in a room like this, that there are a lot of different people here coming from a lot of different perspectives on this. Some of you this morning believe that abortion is wrong. Some of you believe that abortion is okay. Some of you in this room this morning know someone who has had an abortion. And some of you in this room this morning have had an abortion yourself. And so I want to be sensitive this morning as we open up God's Word. I want to be sensitive this morning as we look at the text we're going to look at today. Because listen, the goal for today is not to tear anyone down. The goal for today is not to beat anyone up. The goal today is not to be political. The goal today is to bring hope. To bring hope and to call us to be a church on the move. A kingdom people who care about the things that our king cares about. And so I want to make a request of you this morning. No matter where you find yourself on this particular topic, this particular, if, particular issue, whatever your emotions are right now because you heard me say that word. I would just want to ask you this morning to set aside preconceived beliefs, set aside preconceived notions, wherever you find yourself, those feelings on this topic, and just ask you to listen. Listen to God's word this morning. So let's go to him in prayer now before we open up the scriptures and ask him to help us with that. Father, I pray this morning that as we talk about a heavy topic, as we talk about a sobering issue, an emotional thing, that, that all of us have thoughts on. All of us have been confronted with at some point in time in our life, both maybe in a very, very personal way or just in a theoretical way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear from you this morning. I pray that you would help us to listen this morning and then by listening to respond. Lord, I pray that you would transform our thoughts, that you would transform our feelings on this, wherever they happen to be, not to align with a particular political agenda, but to align with you, the King of all creation, the sovereign Lord over all things. And so I pray now that by the power of your Spirit that you would use the preached word this morning to draw us closer to yourself, that you would use the preached word this morning as we talk about this to cut us down to the depth of our heart, to know that you're speaking to us as individuals today and collectively as a family this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to your spirit, that you'd remove distractions, that you'd remove the tactics and the schemes of the enemy, an enemy who does not want us to talk about this today. Father, would you protect us in this time and this place and help us to hear from you today and to be for your glory and for our good and the good of this world. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, go ahead and open up your Bible to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We were in Psalm 119 last week. We're going to be in Psalm 139 
this week. We're not going to read all of the psalm. Uh, We're just going to focus on four verses this morning. Starting in verse 13 through verse 16 is what we're going to spend our time looking at. So Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David is the author of this psalm. And this is what he says in praise to the Lord. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139 is really a prayer of praise. If we look back at some of the other verses, we see that David is coming before the Lord and he's praising God for who he is. He's praising the God who's in control of all things, even his very life. This God that's the creator and sustainer of all things. The God who is before all things and holds all things together. The God who is ever-present and all-powerful. The God who is full of knowledge and wisdom. David is acknowledging all of these things about God to God. And so what I want to do this morning as we focus on these particular verses, these four verses that I just read, is really seek to understand what David's saying, pull out some takeaways from that, and then really ask and answer the question, why this matters for you and for me? What does this have to do with our lives here and now? See, what we see in these four verses that I just read is the involvement of God in the creation of human life. We see the involvement of God in the creation of human life. In verse 13, David says, In complete darkness, in secret, you, God, formed my inward parts. You, God, are involved in making me down to the depths of who I am. Inside my mother's womb, you were making the insides of me. You were knitting them together in my mother's womb. I mean, what imagery right there, there is there? We have this, this picture of this master craftsman. This is not some haphazard thing that's coming together, but a master craftsman, an artist, taking time to put together every part of a person. Through his natural created order, in his purposeful involvement, God brings about new life in the womb of a woman. And if you think about it, if you step back to think about this for a minute, that's crazy the most high, all-powerful, transcendent God who is involved in the creation of all the world is intimately involved in the most intricate details of our lives. Our very coming together into a specific and God-ordained person. I mean, that's amazing to me. Conception of new life is absolutely astounding. That a man and a woman can come together through sexual intimacy and where there wasn't a person, now there's another person. That's crazy if you stop to think about it. Now in this moment, as you, maybe you're reading this verse and a question that might be in your mind or might come up is, he says God is intimately involved in the forming of a person. So if God is perfect, then why are some children born with birth defects? Why are some children born with other issues if this is who God is? Now, the honest answer to this is there's no way to know exactly why that's the case. But what I do know is the character of God, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is in control, that he is full of love and grace and mercy. 
Now, sin is certainly a part of this. It affects this. It impacts it as well. We all live in a fallen world. We all live in a broken world, and sin affects all of us, both physically and spiritually. And so there are times when God allows brokenness to have its way, and there are times when he doesn't. And I think John 9 is helpful at this point. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. They're walking around, and it says this, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See what's going on here. This man is born blind. He, he's entered into the world without being able to see. And so these disciples see him, and you, know, they, you see the connection they're making. This must be punishment from God. But who's the punishment for? Is it for the man or is it for his parents because of something they've done? That's what they're assuming. But how does Jesus answer? Jesus says to them, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus isn't saying anything about punishment here. It has nothing to do with that. And we don't always know what God is going to do at any point in our lives, what God is doing at any given point in our lives, or the life of a mom, or the life of a dad, or the life of a child. But what we do know that even in this, that God is involved, that he's present, that nothing is outside of his control. In the midst of times in life, sometimes we don't know what's going on, but I would rather know that God is involved and know that even if I can't wrap my mind around it, that I can trust him. So David prays this, and in response to this declaration in verse 13 about God's involvement in the creation of new life, he proclaims in verse 14, I praise you. I praise you. God, I give you worship, God. Why? Because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. To be fearfully made is to be reverently created. To be fearfully made is to be reverently. Sometimes it's a weird thing when we hear the word fearfully made. We're not sure what to do with that. And so David is so taken aback to think about the fact that the God of all creation made him, purpose for him to exist, brought him about. David could not have done this himself. God did that. He ordained that David should be, and so he was. So there's a, a holiness factor to this. And David was wonderfully made says the works of God are wonderful. He says that in the next line, that there's this wonderful works that God does. His soul knows this well. He knows that God's works are wonderful. He can look around at creation and he can stand in awe and wonder of the wonderful and amazing work of God. He can look at all of creation and see that, but he can also just look at a person. And he can see, God, your works are wonderful. You did this. He can look in the mirror and see his own face and be in awe of what God has done. Each person specifically, intentionally, reverently, wonderfully made. You know, I like to people watch. You ever go to the airport, get there a little early, maybe you sit and watch people or a sporting event, something at the mall, maybe you can just sit and you can watch people for, for hours if you really st- stop and start to, to really study them and look at them because everybody's different. There's so many differences amongst people. They come from different places, have different stories, different styles, different looks. There's so much uniqueness in every person. And every single person, regardless of what they look like, is fearfully and wonderfully made. What this means is that there's inherent beauty, there's inherent value to each and every person because of this reality. Which means this, that there's not a single human life 
from conception to the grave that is not valuable in the sight of our God. Not a single one. And if that's the case, then it also must be valuable to us as God's people. And maybe some of you just need to hear that for yourself this morning. That no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've gone through, what lies ahead for you, that you are valued by God. Regardless of the voices in your head or the things that people have said to you, that you are valued by God. There's importance and value of the individual in all of his or her humanness. See, what David is making clear is that of all the wonderful works of the God of all creation, that I am one of those works. That as I look at the ocean and the vastness of the universe, that I'm included in the wonderful creation of God. And so is every person who ever has been or will be made. When David continues his prayer of praise in verse 15, he says his frame was not hidden from God, even when no one else could see it. His frame was not hidden from God. The other day, my son Isaac uh, was talking to me about being in Amy's belly. I don't know why. Um, And he said, I was in mommy's belly and no one could see me. And I was like, bud, you're right. No one could see see you. And he said he remembers being there. (laughs) And he's three, so take that with a grain of salt, I guess. But, but he's right, right? I mean, we can't really see him. We can't really see him in the sense that we can see him now. I mean, sure, we have modern technology like sonograms. And I, and I love, every time with all three of my kids, I've loved being able to go to the doctor's office. And that's amazing in and of itself that you can see this baby. And even with all the technology we have, though, it's still fuzzy. And it's all dependent on if the baby wants to cooperate at any given point in time to actually be able to see their face and their limbs and all those kinds of things. See, sonograms are fuzzy at times, but God's view of you in the womb is never fuzzy. He can see you fully and clearly, down to the intimate details of everything about you. This conversation with Isaac, when he was talking about being in his mommy's belly, said, yeah, buddy, you were right. And you know what? When you started off, you were this small. It was hard for him to wrap his mind around. I couldn't even see, I mean, you can't even see anything. That's how small you are. And then you grew and you grew and you grew until it was time for you to come out and to meet us and to be with us. Even in the smallness, even in the forming, God is intimately involved and present. He is intimately involved in the intricacies of growing a person in the dark, silent, secret place of the womb. So much is going on early on in pregnancy and no one even knows. No one but God. And David uses imagery of being made in the depths of the earth, a place of silence and darkness, just like the womb. But God was present, and he was intricately weaving us together, intricately, precisely, purposefully weaving us together like a weaver, making a beautiful, beautiful tapestry full of life and full of color. And then we come to verse 16 which I think is one of the most significant verses in this text, and I would say one of the most significant verses in understanding our humanity and God's involvement in our lives from the beginning. Let's look at verse 16 again. He says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I love this. And In case we weren't sure about the intimate involvement of God and the most intimate details of our being formed, David says, your eyes saw me in my most basic state. 
eyes are intimate. Looking is personal. Seeing is relational. This is not some distant, theorized, technical involvement. God is watching. God is looking. God is beholding you. Now, some translators, when it talks about unformed substance, some translators translate that as embryo. As embryo, the Hebrew word that would describe what state this child is in. And the reality is most women don't find out that they're pregnant until they're at least five or six weeks along. What David is declaring is that even before his mother knew that she was pregnant with him, God was at work and God was showing care. Even before anyone else knew. Even to the point of every single day of a person's life, whether a person lives only in the womb or lives to be 100 years old outside of the womb, God knew and knows it all for every single person. Every day is written down. Life is in the hands of God from beginning to end. And he knew this before any of these days even came to pass. Man, that's amazing. You know, sometimes I think in life, whether we call ourselves followers of Christ or not, we can sometimes have this feeling, this picture, that God is distant, that God is removed, that he's uninvolved and uncaring when it comes to the details of our lives. But this psalm makes something very clear. He is intimately close and intimately involved. And at the very same time, he's still our holy and almighty creator, the Lord and King of all, over all the cosmos. So what are some takeaways from all that David has said in these four short verses? The first thing is this, that what David declares is not just true for him, but of every person who has or will ever live. There is no person who is out of sight or out of mind because God knows and God is involved. Which leads to another significant takeaway. Personal life begins in the womb. Personal life begins in the womb because every person is personally known by God. Even if no one else knows, if it's a boy or a girl, a name, anything like that, God knows. So personal life begins in the womb. As one pastor says, Psalm 139 shows us that God recognizes the unborn as a person and designs the unborn for life from the moment of conception. Something that's clear is that God values life from conception to the grave. And if God values life in that way, then we as God's people should as well. And all this should be a source of wonder. All this should be a source of praise. If we really start to, to, to kind of try and wrap our minds around this, to really see what God is doing, to see this character and care of God on display, it's a celebration of life. What an amazing truth. What an amazing God we have. But is that the case? Do we see it as a source of praise? Do we see celebration of life as something that we should do? Does our world? It's estimated that since 1973, when abortion was made federally legal by the Supreme Court, that there have been just under 60 million abortions in the United States through surgical procedures. 60 million. And that's not including any abortions that have happened through chemically, chemical, uh, for chemical, using chemicals, chemically induced abortions. Some people estimate if we tried to include those, it would be in the hundreds of millions. The total population of Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, 
in New Jersey is 55 million. I mean, this is a modern holocaust. It's a modern holocaust. And conservative estimates say that approximately one out of three women in the United States have had or will have an abortion. A third. One out of three. See, what this means is that you and I do not live in a culture of life, but a culture of death. And we live in a culture of death that's a product of a culture of convenience. Because we're all taught from an early age and it arises within our own hearts and lives that we are the center of our own lives. That, that we are the Lord of our own lives, the King of our own lives. And if something interferes with our plans, if something interferes with our comfort and our personal kingdom building, then we can and should seek to remove that thing, that person, no matter what, and never look back. See, our ethics often become shaky when we're confronted with a personal trial, when we're confronted with a personal discomfort or a personal issue. When it's out there, it's one thing. But when it comes into our own lives, into our own small little world, we maybe start to waffle a little bit. But the reality is our culture is at odds with God's kingdom culture of valuing all life. Because see, any child, any child is never an item to be discarded, but a precious life to be celebrated. God does, and so should we as God's people. Now again, I know some of you this morning know someone who's had an abortion, and I know some of you here today have had an abortion. If you're a guy, or maybe if you're a guy, you've been party uh, to an abortion. Some of you have shared that with others but others of you haven't. And if statistics hold true, then that's definitely the case. And so I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. There is hope and there is grace for you. And his name is Jesus. Because God sent his own eternal son, born into this world, just like you. His own eternal son, who was conceived in the womb of his mother, knitted together perfectly, to come into this world with a purpose. He came into this world to save you. He came to live a perfect life of obedience to God, his Father, and to do something that none of us could do. But he also came to take on the righteous punishment, the righteous wrath of God for our sin and our rebellion. He came to die in our place for all the times that you have chosen to love yourself more than God, to love yourself more than others, to love yourself more than the small person forming inside of you. He paid for your sin in full on the cross as he was nailed to it and died in your place. He died for you and he died for your abortion. This is the good news of the gospel. The reality is is that you were dead in your sin, left to yourself. You're alone and lost, dying and dead, but God But God, in his grace and his love and his mercy, made a way for you to be forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and set free from your sin, no matter what it is. See, our culture, and I think sometimes the enemy tells you that God may be willing to forgive you for certain things, but not this thing. That's not true. That's not the gospel. Jesus went to the cross knowing everything he was dying for. To set you free from your sin, but also to set you free from your shame. See, shame is a tactic and tool of the enemy who hates you. 
And my guess is that some of you feel shame this morning, or you know someone who feels shame. But that's not the gospel, and that's not from God. God doesn't shame you, ever. No, God sets you free from shame, even over having an abortion. Because when you come to place your faith in Christ, what you're doing is you're declaring that you are a sinner in need of grace. You're declaring to the world around you that you are a rebel, that you deserve death for your sin and your rebellion, but you are wholly leaning on Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection for freedom and forgiveness and new life. See, shame is broken when you recognize that the God of Psalm 139, the God who knows every single thing about you, that knows that you did what you did in secret, knows what you did in silence, that that same God doesn't stand at a distance from you, but comes running to you. He comes running to you in love to take it all away and lavish his grace and his mercy on you. Abortion has been called the silent killer. It's been called the silent killer because it kills a baby in silence, but also because it kills you. It eats away. It hollows you out. It pushes you into more darkness and hiding. Even as we read from our confession this morning, that idea that we, we, if we keep that inside, if we don't bring it out into the light, it just starts to, to destroy us, to crumble us as a person inside. If we go into a few verses earlier in Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12, David says there, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Friend, if you're sitting in darkness right now, would you come into the light? Would you come into the light? There is hope and healing and redemption for you. Come to the God of grace. Listen, my God can do anything. He can do anything. If he can form a new human being where there wasn't one before, he can do anything. If he can create all the world, if he can cure disease, if he can still the storm, if he can raise the dead, he can do anything. He can heal you. He can restore you. He can redeem you. So come to him today. And would you tell somebody this is a part of your life and you've never shared this with before with anyone, would you tell them, don't sit in silence or shame anymore? See, one of the most amazing things about the gospel is that it creates a level playing field. Every last person in this room, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they have, no matter what they've done, is a sinner who has chosen to love other things besides God, namely ourselves. See, at the end of the day, selfishness and self-worship might be the root of all of our sin because we believe and we think the world revolves around us. And so I don't stand up here today with a one ounce, one inkling of condemnation for you because I recognize that just like you, that I'm desperate for God's grace. I have been and will continue to be desperate for God's saving grace in Jesus too. So I don't stand up here condemning you in, in, in any way, shape, or form if you've had an abortion or been party to it. And this church is not a church where we're going to look down on you for what you've done, but we'll bow down with you at the foot of the cross as people in need of grace as well that comes in and through Jesus alone because we all need it. And so if you don't know Christ, let me invite you to him today. 
receive the grace and forgiveness offered to you in and through what Jesus has done for you. Now, why am I preaching on this today? Well, the first basic reason is that in the month of January is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is the third or fourth week of January because in 1973 when the Supreme Court came down with their decision, it was in January. And so churches for many years have set aside time to talk about this, to preach on it, to address it. But like I've said, we've been here four and a half years and I've never done that before. So why now? Why start today? The reason is really simple. Because I was personally challenged. A a good friend of mine, Mark, is leading something called the Vox Project, V-O-X, which is Latin for voice. The Vox Project is seeking to break the silence for the silenced and speaking up for the weakest and most vulnerable among us. And one of the things they're doing is creating equipping videos and and really a documentary film uh, to help to do that. And so several months ago, my friend Mark sent me uh, a clip uh, of an interview that he had done with Pastor John Piper. And this clip was to me. It was addressed to me. Now, not specifically, he didn't say Justin. That would have been kind of cool, but he didn't say that. <laughs> but it was addressed to pastors, and particularly young pastors. And, and he addressed, he nailed on the head of why I and, and maybe many others of us haven't done this before, haven't spoken, haven't preached on this before. And it's very simple, one word, fear. Fear. He said a lot of young pastors don't want to be labeled or have their ministry labeled as right-winged or political or Republican. But here's the deal. Abortion is not a political issue. It's not a Republican issue. Just like racial reconciliation and racial justice is not a democratic issue. These are gospel issues. These are gospel issues. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I cannot be quiet any longer. And neither can you. Neither can we. This cannot be out of, si- out of sight, out of mind for us as God's people because every last person, no matter how tiny they are or how old they are, is made in the image of God. That's something to be cherished and celebrate and to defend. Silence no more. We as God's people then must be the voice for the voiceless. So what can we do? What should we do? I believe there's a burden that God has given to his people to take up this kingdom cause, to celebrate the sanctity of human life in a culture of death. Because if we as God's people won't do this, then who will? Who will? And so to close, I just want to give us some very practical ways that you and I can get involved to see lives saved. Lives of the unborn, but also of some desperate mamas who need hope, who need healing. The first way that we can get involved is to get involved with pregnancy centers. There are two phenomenal pregnancy centers that I would encourage you uh, to, to look into and get involved with. The first is called the Sanctity of Life Ministries. Sanctity of Life Ministries. The other one is called Assist Pregnancy Center. Both are right here in Fairfax and in Annandale. And both of these organizations provide care and counsel and medical advice and the hope of the gospel to women in crisis. And there are a ton of ways that you can work with them. You can volunteer your time. You can seek to be a counselor. You can help with administrative things around the office. You can donate to them financially as well. They are doing phenomenal work here in Northern Virginia. 
Let me also say this, if you've had an abortion or you know someone who has, Assist Pregnancy Center also provides abortion recovery programs that I'd recommend to you as well. So get involved with the Pregnancy Center in some way, shape, or form. The second way that you can get involved, that you can be a part of this, is invest in a project. Invest in a project. There are four that I want to mention this morning. The first is the Vox Project, which I already talked about. They're seeking to be a voice for the voiceless, and so you can be involved in that. There's also something called the Psalm 139 Project. Our denomination, the Baptist denomination, has put this organization together, and they're seeking to provide ultrasound machines to pregnancy centers. Ultrasound machines are expensive, and all these pregnancy centers are not-for-profit, and so you can donate financial resources to the Psalm 139 Project to provide pregnancy centers with ultrasound, uh, ultrasound machines. There's also something very similar to that called Save the Storks. It's taking vans and converting them into ultrasound, uh, 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 like basically a little doctor's office with an ultrasound machine. And they go and they park near women's clinics or abortion clinics and they seek to invite women before they go in that door and make a irreversible decision to come for a moment and to have an ultrasound. So you can donate to Save the Storks as well. And lastly, the project, another project is called the Naomi Project. It's right here in Fairfax, seeking to train women to be mentors to young mothers who need care and support during the time leading up to and after having a baby, the Naomi Project. The third thing that you can do is attend or watch online the Evangelicals for Life Conference. This is a national conference. It's coming up January 26th through 28th, right here in the D.C. area at the J.W. Marriott. It's going to have a ton of amazing speakers And if you're able, I encourage you to go. But even if you can't go, they're live streaming it online and so you can watch it. And it comes right in conjunction with the National March for Life, which is happening on January the 27th. So seek to see if you can be a part of that. And fourthly, contact your congressmen and women. Abortion and life are not political issues. We cannot let politics and agendas hijack that. These are gospel issues. So while we can't truly legislate morality, we can utilize our legal code to help mitigate against the effects of sin. So write your senators and your representative, both on the state level and national level, to be, ask them to be a voice for the voiceless. And if you want links on any of that, I know it's a lot of information. If you want more information or you, you caught something and you're not sure how to find it, uh, just email me and I can help you. I'll pass along any of that information for you. There's a few people in our church that are involved in some of those organizations and ministries as well that I can connect you with also. So please just let me know. But there's a few other paramount ways that we can and should be involved so that we can be secret and silent no more. And that's the, the next one is just prayer. We can go before the Lord regularly and often and pray that the culture of death be transformed into a culture of life in our country and in our world. We can pray for the men and in particular the women who are in such a dark and desperate place that they're even contemplating abortion. We can pray for them. But we can also go a step further. See, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to go stand on a street corner with a sign Or write your congressman or woman and call for legislation to change if you're unwilling to love. Let's not be loud voices with no heart and no compassion and no care. Because the reality is almost no one's heart is going to change because of a bumper sticker or a Facebook post. 
If we're going to be a voice for the voiceless, it starts with remembering that we have the greatest hope, the only hope, the redeeming and restoring gospel of Jesus Christ to share with the hopeless. Any person who's at the point of considering abortion is in need of love. They're in need of love. And we as God's people should be a place and a people that they know they can come to to receive that. Church, for far too long, Far too long, the church has been perceived, and maybe rightly so, not as a place of love and grace and mercy, but a place of judgment. That if someone unexpectedly gets pregnant and the situation, the circumstances aren't great, that they feel like they can't come to God's people because they'll be looked down on, they'll be ridiculed, they'll be judged. But we're redeemed people. And if we've forgotten what God's done in our life, then shame on us. We are people who've received grace. We've received mercy. We were strangers with no hope, alone in this world. But God, through the blood of Christ, has brought us near to himself. Not because we figured it out, because he sought us out. And he came for us. And he brought us in. You and I cannot call for an end to abortion and not care for the women and the children that are at the center of it. This is not a big issue, right? We, we can hear the word 60 million and it becomes just a, a statistic, an almost unfathomable number for us. But all 60 million of those situations, those people start at the individual level with two image bearers, a mom and a baby. So we have to begin there. If someone needs help, invite them in. If a child needs a home, invite them in. If you know of a woman in a situation who's contemplating this, say, we will take care of you and your baby because we love you and we love him or her. That's what we need to be about as a church. We do things like foster care and adoption. We're willing to open up our lives. It's what it means to be the church. That's what I want Sojourn to be about, a a place and a people of grace and mercy and compassion and, and truth and love and care. And we can do that Because we've received that from our good Father, our good, heavenly, loving Father. Since I began this sermon, statistically speaking, a hundred abortions have taken place in the U.S. In the last 45 minutes, a hundred lives lost. And to every single one of those lives, God says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Sojourn secret and silent no more. Let's be a voice for the voiceless to the glory of God and the good of every single person from conception to the grave. We're going to come to the communion table now. And it's a meal that we take every week to be reminded and refreshed in the reality that we were lost and dead in our sin, but that God made a way for us to be forgiven. You are loved. And because God loved you, he sent his son Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed to adopt you into his family. God knows everything about you. Everything about you, all of your rebellion, all of your false worship, and he purposed before the foundation of the world, before you even existed, to send his son to set you free from your sin and your shame. So come forward today. Come forward today in celebration of the grace you've received in and through Jesus. Eat and drink to the praise and the glory of Jesus, our Savior and our King. And if you're not a follower of Christ, 
we would just ask you this morning not to come forward to take communion. This table, this bread, and this cup, they don't do anything for you if you haven't yet received the grace of God through Christ. This doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And so if you're at that point, whether, whether or not you've been a part of an abortion or not, maybe you're just someone that's broken over your sin this morning, and you're hearing the reality of the gospel, maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, I want to invite you to Jesus today. His arms spread wide for you, nailed to a cross, rose again from the grave to rescue you. So if you don't know Christ, don't come forward to take the bread and the cup. Just hang out in your seat and take Jesus. Pray, ask God to save you, to redeem you, that you might start a new relationship with God today through what Christ has done for you. And if any of you have questions about that, if any of you need prayer, please come pray with me after the service. I'd love to do that, but look to somebody around you, somebody you came with. There are a lot of people in this room this morning that would love to pray with you and journey with you with wherever you find yourself. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back, tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you, purposefully, for you, will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that all people are fearfully and wonderfully made. That every day of every person has been written down in your book. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be a source of praise, that would be a source of worship for us this morning. And Father, I pray that you'd bring healing and hope and grace to those who have experienced abortion in some way, shape, or form. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Would you kindly lead us to repentance this morning? Maybe for some of us this morning, what we need to repent of is that we, don't, we haven't cared about this. That it's been out of sight, out of mind for us. And so, Lord, I lead out in that and say, Father, forgive me for not having preached on this, not having spoken about it, not having cared enough about it to do something. Father, help me to be a voice for the voiceless. Help us as a church community to be a voice for the voiceless, to seek to celebrate life together. Father, I pray that you transform our culture, a culture of death, into a culture of life, where we could cherish new life where we could care for those who are in crisis situations, where we could love them and extend grace and mercy and kindness to them, and that you bring new life into this world. Empower us to do what you've called us to do. Father, we pray secret and silent no more. We pray this in the name of Christ, our King, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.